Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Worthy Podcast, brought to you by the International Tennis Hall of Fame. I'm Brett Haber. So glad you're with us. In 2023, the Hall of Fame launched its first podcast in the form of 12 in-depth audio interviews with some of the great names in the sport. Season two is on the way in 2024 with more fascinating interviews that get into subjects not often heard in most tennis conversations. So to whet your appetite for that, we've taken some of the most interesting contributions from season one and put them together in five themes. Today's theme is the importance of family. And among the players giving us some revealing and at times very personal insights into their family life are Vijay Amritraj, Tracy Austin, John Newcomb, and Mary Pierce. Chris Bowers, who hosted all 12 interviews for the Tennis Worthy podcast, presents this review of the great names talking about what their families did for them. Over to you, Chris. Whatever we achieve in life, we're probably grateful to someone or other, more likely a number of people. Such is the competitive nature of tennis and the need to start relatively early that it's hard to get to the top without having had at least one parent who gave up an awful lot to help their child get a foothold in the sport. Often it's just as an indefatigable local and long-distance taxi service. But in the case of the Indian legend Vijay Amritraj, his parents had to do a lot more than that. My parents were two quite ordinary people. My father was in the government service working for the Southern Railways. My mother was a uh, wonderful woman. I can talk about her all day long. Um, but uh, we grew up in a wonderful above-average family, I would say, where the big question was my health at the, in my early years. And, uh, and that was what I struggled with pretty much all through my early years with uh, severe asthma and uh, was in and out of hospital and uh, had a bouts of IV in me and uh, my mother helping me with schoolwork and going and sitting in class for me on the odd occasion and coming and teaching me in school, in, in the hospital rather, and, uh, and then begging the teachers to allow me to do the exams, and, uh, which I very rarely passed. So it was a, it was a real learning curve at, at a very young age. And, uh, what sort I think of age my are we mother, talking about? Uh, we're talking about from the time I was born till about 10. And uh, it was more a question of uh, my mother and father not wanting me to be left behind. So when did tennis come into this? So finally, the doctors advised that I should play an outdoor sport to expand my lungs, which were too close together, apparently. That's why my breathing capacity was, was less, and I had the severe case of asthma, and I couldn't go to high-altitude places and things like that. And so they suggested uh, an outdoor sport. The sport of my family was tennis, and Anand, my older brother, was already playing tennis. And so they got me into it, but I couldn't. I played for a minute and sat for five minutes and played for two minutes and sat for ten minutes. One of those things, and I couldn't run from here to there properly. And so my mother took it upon herself to actually drive the car by the side of me to as I ran, 10 yards, 50 yards, 100 yards, and eventually, eventually I ran 8, 10 miles a day. So you built up your lung capacity through a mixture of running and playing tennis? Mainly tennis. It was entirely the sport that actually gave me back my health. And to be able to then eventually get to where I did was simply uh, not just a miracle, uh, but a, uh, a challenge to my parents and to myself, I suppose, but more to them, uh, especially my mom, to make me into something that uh, seemed like a complete long shot. 
And I always used to tease my parents afterwards that if you didn't have me, you'd think being parenting, parenting would be easy. But it isn't. We all know that. Clearly, it's 98% their effort anyway that I did, ended up doing what I did. But I'm, I, it's, it's very easy for me to say this. My greatest talent was being born to the right parents. Did the breathing difficulties ever come back, or once you built up your lung capacity, was that then fully behind you? It was behind me most of the time till I went to some high-altitude places. I played in Tehran, for example, uh, in, the, in the 70s. And uh, eventually, you know, the ATP used to have a hard designation in those days to send a player who um, was in the top 20 to some place where they could go save a tournament because the local guy was, was in the top 20, and so they needed a, another guy to come in there and play in the same tournament. So one year I was due to play San Francisco, and the ATP moved me to Mexico City. And I tried to explain to them that I can't go to these high-altitude places. And uh, they had no other choice but to send me there. So they sent Anand and me there. And I woke up in the morning after my first night in Mexico City, and the entire pillow was red because I'd been bleeding through the nose. But then again, when I called mom, you know, she said, uh, they sent you there, and uh, there's no question of you can't. And I ended up beating Ramirez in the final. A remarkable story, some of which you might just put down to the natural concern of a parent, but it's clear Vijay Amritaj wouldn't have scaled the heights he did without that real dedication from his mother and father. There are plenty of players whose parents were their first coaches, but for many the parental role is simply that of providing moral support. But occasionally a parent can offer something extremely valuable to a player's career simply by just good parenting. Listen to this tale of parenting from the Australian legend John Newcomb and how it helped him in the 1970 Wimbledon final when he had 60 seconds to regroup after losing the last five games of the fourth set against Ken Rosewall. Over the years, I'd, I'd you know, studied myself what my weaknesses and strengths were, not just in, in game, but um, mentally what would cause me to get a negative attitude, what would cause me to get a positive attitude and I give a fair bit of credit of that to my mother because I was a pretty fiery youngster growing up and, you know, from six, seven, eight years of age, if things didn't go my way in the kitchen, I'd tend to run off into the the bedroom and slam the bedroom door and and she'd come in and um, just sit down uh, beside me and talk in a very low voice until I'd got out of the the mood that I was in and uh, explained to me how it, it wasn't helpful to me to be like that. So over, a, I, I think, probably a period of time, uh, I started to understand that. And i give you an example. Um, uh, I was playing a, a under-14 state championship against a guy that was one year older than me and they only played a one set in the final uh, they'd put us on a back court and not a not a main court and I went out and I had a I had a bad attitude and only two people watching was my mother and Tony Paul's mother and they were on opposite sides of the net and and I was uh, behaving really badly and I was down 4-1 and uh, things weren't looking good and I was changing ends and my mother ne- never said anything on the court but she she kind of hissed at me and she said Uh, As I changed then, she said, why don't you start playing tennis and stop feeling sorry for yourself? And I turned around and glared at her. But by the time I got back to the baseline, I said, my gosh, she's right. 
and uh, I got myself out of that and, and, and won the set 7-5 and won the championship. But had she not said that, so that was a great lesson. And, and you know, lo and behold, years later, I'm going through the same thing on the centre court at Wimbledon. Did you actually think of your mother? Did you picture her at all when you're going through those 60 seconds or in any other match? Uh, no, not really. I mean, but the lessons that I learned were ingrained in my head. So I, I didn't... I wasn't out there thinking, oh, yeah, mum's talking to me, you know. I mean, she she was there at the uh, it's the first time she came to Wimbledon, 1970 final against Ken. So she saw me win the singles doubles. And, um, yeah, so she, she was probably proud of the way I turned myself around. I bet she was. John Newcomb talking about one of the most valuable lessons he ever learned from his mum. Parenting is incredibly difficult anyway, and with a gifted child you have that additional problem of whether you push them to give them a chance of making it, or whether you let them have a normal childhood, if such a thing exists, but risk them not making enough progress in the discipline in which they're talented. Thankfully, most parents want only the best for their children and don't push the boundaries, but we know there are a few that do, and when the details come out it can be pretty harrowing. One of the features of the first season of Tennis Worthy Podcasts was the honesty with which Mary Pierce told the story of how her father, Jim, made her life hell and how she finally managed to break free of him, even if it was in the full glare of Grand Slam publicity. It was really, really hard. It was very difficult. You know, my mom was a great support. Um, you know, she was like, like my pillar, my rock, my best friend. Um, she was always there for me um, whenever I needed it to to talk to or to cry to with or um, you know my my dad was you know he was very very hard in training it was uh, military <laughs> military boot camp style to say the least how you would train uh, 18 year old and older men basically and not a young girl basically he was verbally and physically abusive and I thought that as I got better and better as a tennis player that it would get less and less but actually it was the opposite and the better that I got it was like the more pressure and the more stress and the more expectation and demands um, you know came from my father so obviously he wanted me to be a champion, he wanted me to be the best, he wanted me number one, he believed in me, he trained me hard um, in the ways that, you know, I think that he thought was the best, because um, obviously I'm his daughter and he loves me and he wants the best for me, but obviously it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't in, in the most healthiest of ways, so I grew up in fear, I guess you could say, you know, and, and fearing my dad. Um, all you know is that you're, you're, you're angry and you're scared. Uh, I think those were like the main emotions, I think, that I grew up with until I was 18, basically. So like, as you said, I couldn't wait to be 18 because I was like, well, when I'm 18, I'm an adult. That's the legal age. <laughs> we think we're adults, but we're not fully developed yet. Until a brain, usually, I think they say until you're 25, but that's the legal age. I said, okay, well, I'm 18, I'm out of here, no one can tell me what to do, and I'm gone. So that's pretty much what happened at Roland Garros. Did you ever confront him? Did you ever say, Daddy, don't 
talk to me like this, or was he just too damaged and therefore fearful? Um, you know, that's that's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I actually ever did because I think you were just too afraid of his reaction or how he might react, you know, towards you. <laughs> My brother did one time. That didn't go so well. What happened? <laughs> Well, you know, I think my brother, as he was getting a little bit older and he thought um, he's becoming a young man, he thinks he's strong, <laughs> that he can kind of stand up to him a little bit, you know, and try to maybe protect me or to protect my mom. Um, but yeah, no, my dad hit him and uh, that didn't go very well. So my dad was very, very strong, um, you know, physically. So yeah, that you just kind of yeah, you didn't say anything, basically. And so at Roland Garros, you sought advice from one of the senior tour supervisors. Well, it was really amazing. Um, you know, late Georgina Clark from the WTA, um, an amazing, exceptional woman, uh, like a mother figure on the tour. And, you know, I would often have bruises on my body or, you know, especially on my arms where often my dad would grab me. And um, I remember at the Roland Garros, I'm 18 years old, and I would stay in the locker room quite a while after my matches because that was a safe place for me because I knew my father couldn't come in there. <laughs> it was only for women. <laughs> um, and so I would sit in there for a little while after my matches. And uh, I remember Georgina came up to me and uh, I, uh, she saw you know, the bruises on my arm and I was just sitting there. And she looked at me and she said, um, are you okay? And I basically just shook my head. I didn't say anything, I just shook my head no. And she said, um, would you like some help? And I nodded my head yes. And she said, okay. And, um, and so we spoke, um, you know, about ways that, that the WTA could basically help me. And there are rules in tennis. And if there is someone in the crowd that's being disruptive to play or to, you know, the players, etc., that they can be removed by security. And so, you know, she said, well, I'll be at your next match. And... We'll see how things go, and if at any moment, if your dad is being disruptive, which he has in the past been disruptive, um, then she said, you know, we can remove him from the stands with security. Are you okay with that? I said, yes. So next day, my next match, playing against Kimberly Poe from America, and I lose the first set. And my dad was very unhappy, <laughs> to say the least. And uh, he stood up in the crowd and he screamed and he screamed at me and he screamed some obscenities and inappropriate language. And, you know, it's quite embarrassing. It was quite embarrassing for me as a player. And, um, and that, at that moment, you know, I, Georgina was there in the stand and looked at me and nodded my head. And so that's when the security proceeded to come to my father and just, you know, asked him to please, you know, keep quiet and et cetera. And then he got mad at them and yelled. And so then they asked to, for him to leave and he said no. 
and uh, created a scene, and then they actually had to remove him. So <laughs> removed him, and yeah, it was it was quite quite a scene. He was uh, literally dragged and kicking and screaming, and that was then the moment when he was removed from Roland Garros, and they put him outside of the the the, the gates, and he couldn't come back in, um, and. You know, I proceeded with my match, and I won the second set. Were you aware of the commotion going on? A hundred percent. It was all happening right in front of me. I could see and hear everything. And then basically I, I won the match. And that was from that moment on, you know, my life completely changed in a way where I was provided security. I had bodyguards um, because, you know, we feared for our lives, my mother, myself, and my brother, because, you know, you just you didn't know what my dad could do or was going to do you know, at any moment. So it was, uh, it was quite, quite an experience. Quite an experience indeed. Mary's father was well known on the circuit at the time as a fiery character. But while a lot of that is horrific, credit to both Mary Pierce and the late Georgina Clark for dealing with it within the rules and following up with appropriate security. Tennis is a sport. It should be fun. And no kid should have to go through that. Given how important the role of parents is in the development of a champion, it's a fair question to ask how good at parenting former champions are. That was a question I put to Tracy Austin, the two-times US Open champion, whose son Brandon Holt was trying to make it on the ATP Tour. Boy, have I learned a lot. Um, boy, do I appreciate my mom as a tennis mom. She was so even-keeled, always so positive, but yet analytical. You know, she felt that it was important at a certain time, not within the first hour, because who wants to hear anything about a loss then? But at some point, the discussion would be opened up because that's how you learn and hopefully improve for the next time. But I've learned a lot as a tennis mom, when to talk, when to back off. Three boys that all played tennis all wanted to take it to a different level. Some wanted a little more advice. Some wanted me to really back off. So I think that's something that eventually I'm very proud of, the way that I was able to kind of maneuver being a tennis mom. They all find joy with tennis. And it wasn't about me. And that's where it was really fascinating to watch because as a kid, I wanted it. It was me driving the train. But going to all these junior tournaments with Brandon, there were so many parents that were driving the train. And the kid was feeling, I felt like they were being dragged along. And it wasn't necessarily what they wanted to do. It was clearly the parents' desire and the, the parents' dream. And that kid was going to play tennis whether they liked it or not. And the dynamic, the relationship between them, just to see all the different you know, elements. Sometimes I wanted to pull a parent aside and say, you know what, there's so much more after this tennis that you guys are going to be spending another 50 years together. Make sure that you keep your relationship intact because so many of the relationships were unhealthy. So does this happen when you're coaching youngsters? Do you find yourself talking as much to the parents as to the kids? Yeah, I don't coach many youngsters, but um, yeah, I did with the USTA for a little bit, but it's more just watching during those tournaments. And I, I just, I write a lot in tennis magazine about maybe some ideas for parents because I think as a former player who really didn't feel the need to have my kids be great at tennis, I, I only if it was their dream, you know, it wasn't going to be my dream. I, I was able to step back and, and kind of understand 
more of, of how to handle that situation, I believe. Again, it's it's so important that they think macro. This tennis player, micro. Tennis parent, macro. You know, where are we going with this journey? And is it my dream or is it their dream? And am I listening? Am I listening to my kid enough? And that's so important. You should do some workshops on these, shouldn't you? I would love to. I, I really would. And you have not, authority. Yeah, not for any other reason that there are so many kids. I just I want to pull aside and say, you know what? You were wonderful today. You gave your all. You didn't win, but that's okay. That's all you can give on this particular day. And then you see them going with their parent and their parents not happy about about the situation. Now, I do want to say that's not all tennis parents, but there's enough that I'm a mom with a big heart that even if I see a few, it's it's really hard to watch. So that that's those are the few that you want to take aside and say, oh, you know, let's try to work on this. Wow, I'd love to see someone funding Tracy Austin to give some tennis parenting workshops. That advice to parents, there's so much more after the tennis you guys are going to be spending another 50 years together, should be put in every email to tennis parents, along with that slogan, tennis player micro, tennis parent macro. No one should pretend that parenting is easy, but there are plenty of champions and players who've made it to an incredibly impressive level without ever becoming champions who are very grateful to their parents for getting that difficult balance of love and encouragement just right. You've been listening to just a few of the fascinating moments from the first season of the Tennis Worthy podcast brought to you by the International Tennis Hall of Fame. There will be more excerpts presented by Chris Bowers next time as we build up to season two of these long-form interviews with our tennis legends. Next time, the theme will be Tennis in the Wider World, which will feature contributions from Mats Wielander, Vijay Amitraj, Leighton Hewitt, Stan Smith, and Pam Shriver. And remember, of course, you can hear the full interviews from Season 1 by going to TennisFame.com slash podcast. Do check them out. It is well worth it. Until then, I'm Brett Haber, and thanks so much for listening to the Tennis Worthy Podcast. <laughs>